Welcome to Failed Utopia, the podcast about utopian ideas and paradise lost. We look at utopian concepts of the past, present, and future, as well as utopian communities and cults, which promise the world to eager followers, but inevitably fail when it all starts to unravel. FU fans, uh, it has been a week. A family of skunks moved in underneath the porch at my place, so I've been spending all week trapping skunks. Humanely, of course, relocating them far out into the wilderness where they can no longer bother me with their putrid ass juices. So that's been my week. <laughs> yeah, I said it putrid ass juices. <laughs> Uh, Good luck sleeping tonight when that's all you can think about. Okay, so today's episode isn't actually about my vermin problems, but the topic might be a little unexpected. In fact, I myself had never really thought about this up until eh, maybe two or three months ago. I came across an article about this by Emily Stewart published over at Vox, and that's how I got onto this whole topic, credit card rewards. Who knew they had a dark side? Crazy, right? Well, not if you know the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I admit, I was disappointed when I realized the downside of credit card rewards because, full disclosure, I love getting cash back from my credit card purchases. For years, I've been putting everything on my credit card and then immediately paying it off just to rack up cash back. I never really thought too much about where that extra cash was actually coming from. I mean, the credit card companies are raking in billions in profit every year. Why shouldn't they throw me a few hundred dollars here or there? It builds customer loyalty and honestly gets me to use my credit card for more purchases than I probably would otherwise. More card swipes for them, free money for me. Win-win, right? Yes and no. Credit card companies make money in a variety of ways, including charging you interest when you carry a balance and charging various fees for things like late payments, cash advances, balance transfers, and a bunch of other stuff. But they also make money by charging merchants transaction fees when they accept your plastic. These are called interchange fees or swipe fees, and they're usually somewhere between 2 and 4% of your purchase, depending on the card. Businesses compensate for this hit to their revenue by raising their prices to cover it. For the most part, it's a cost of doing business. Debit cards also have fees, but they're much lower, usually 1% or less, because these are capped by federal law unlike credit card swipe fees. Maybe you've noticed the occasional small business that posts a little sign at the register letting you know that it costs them money when you pay by credit card. The mechanic shop where I take my car has a big yellow sign explaining that payment by credit card will be subject to an additional 3.99% fee. And every time I go there, I forget to bring cash. 
or a check, because who even has checks anymore? I mean, yeah, sometimes there's cash in my wallet, like enough to cover an oil change, but who's going to pay in cash for a $1,200 car repair? A 4% surcharge there will set you back almost 50 bucks. Annoying, right? Not when you turn it around and look at it from the merchant's perspective. How can they possibly afford to lose 4% of their revenue to credit card processing fees? Well, as I said, most businesses do it by passing the cost on to you, but they usually do it by raising prices for everyone across the board, not through one-off surcharges on individual transactions like my mechanic. You don't notice it when you walk into most stores because it's a hidden fee. It's just rolled into their overall pricing. So customers who don't use a credit card end up paying more for products and services, in effect, subsidizing those who do use a credit card. And fancy rewards cards with the best rewards and all the bells and whistles tend to have higher swipe fees, so it costs merchants even more every time you swipe your card. Credit card companies push their high rewards, high swipe fee cards pretty hard to attract customers. I know I can't turn on my favorite show on Hulu without Jennifer Garner maniacally asking me what's in my wallet, but most of us won't qualify for top-tier rewards cards, or in many cases, any credit card at all. So what's the difference between people with credit cards and people without credit cards? It usually comes down to income and credit scores. Payment method is strongly correlated with wealth, meaning wealthier individuals are more likely to pay for things with credit cards, while poorer people are likely to pay for things with cash, prepaid cards, and debit cards. Those with lower incomes and or poor credit scores will have a tough time qualifying for a credit card. When they go out and buy gas, groceries, and whatever else they need with cash, they pay higher prices that subsidize the card swipers. You might be surprised to know how many people do not have a credit card. According to creditcards.com, it's about a fifth of all American consumers. Other publications say 7 in 10 Americans have a credit card, so let's just say the number of American consumers with no credit card is somewhere in the 20 to 30% range. And credit card ownership declined slightly during the coronavirus pandemic. When consumers started experiencing financial challenges en masse, credit card companies responded by tightening up their requirements to qualify for a credit card. Think about that for a second. Someone who was financially wiped out because of the coronavirus pandemic may have found themselves unable to obtain a credit card and ended up subsidizing the wealthier members of society who were out swiping their cards for carts full of toilet paper at Costco. So that's the rub. It turns out my credit card rewards are in large part being paid for by the people who can least afford it. As stated to Vox by Aaron Klein, a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution, the American payment system has evolved into a reverse Robin Hood, whereby middle-class and working-class Americans who pay with a debit card, prepaid card, or cash are subsidizing the wealthy who pay less for everything. But that's not the only disadvantage that those who don't have access to credit face. 
If they do have a need for emergency cash, their only recourse may be shady payday lenders, notorious for their high interest rates and debt traps. Lots of Americans also don't have a bank account, and it was widely reported that during the coronavirus pandemic, many of those individuals ended up being charged a fee to cash their stimulus checks. And this might be a good time to mention the problem with consumer credit generally. As Consumer Reports notes, paying your mortgage on time helps your credit score, but paying your rent on time won't help at all. The credit bureaus don't care whether your late payments were because you got sick and went broke paying your medical bills or because you're a horrible, irresponsible piece of human trash. Mistakes stay on your credit history for years, and for the millions of Americans with no credit history at all, the system makes it extremely difficult to get a foot in the door and start establishing credit. Predictably, this tends to break down along class and racial lines. Having a low or no credit score can affect your job prospects and how much you pay for a lot of things like car insurance, with, again, those who can least afford it paying more and wealthier people paying less. Credit scores are also confusing and opaque and frequently contain errors. A study by Consumer Reports enlisting 6,000 volunteers resulted in a third of credit reports containing errors. Put in this context, the way that credit cards and especially elite rewards cards work is just one facet of an overall picture of how it's expensive to be poor. So am I going to stop using my rewards credit card? Eh, probably not or not completely anyway. I do try to avoid using it for small purchases or at local mom-and-pop type places. But now, maybe you can all join me in feeling a pang of guilt when you swipe that fancy credit card. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help other people find it. Tell your friends about it. And if you want to support the pod directly and help keep new episodes coming, you can donate to the show through the link at the bottom of the show notes. Connect and stay in the loop on the website, failedutopia.com or the Facebook page at failedutopiapod. Failed Utopia episodes are written and produced by me, Anna Roberts. The burning palm tree painting featured on the cover is by artist Perry Vasquez. My intro music is by Elliot Middleton. See you next time.